Right, I brought a backpack up and it's got some tools in it and uh, it might help me in the sermon a little bit. So um, what is with humans and tools? We seem to love tools and I think it's, tools are a lot of what has brought humans to where we are. We find a trouble or some kind of, something in our way and so we invent something to make our life better. And if you look around, every, every day you use a tool of some sort to get a job done or uh, in your home. And we take them for granted. There's a lot of things that we do that we need and we don't even really realize it. And so I'm an electrician and I uh, usually carry a little tool pouch at work. And I probably got about 20 tools that I use every single day. And uh, there are some tools though, that I keep in a little bag that... I don't really use them every day, but maybe once a month or maybe a couple times a year. But when I need those tools, instead of taking two or three hours, I might be able to shave it down to 20 minutes by using that specialty tool. And in life, there are tools like that. I can think of things like a blender and the usefulness of a blender. If a blender wasn't invented, how we'd have to be mashing and doing all that stuff in the kitchen, how long that would take. And I brought another one here. This is going to be a little bit of an infomercial. And you guys maybe have seen, seen one of these before. I hope I don't cut myself pulling it out. And I'm sold on this. I don't know. I don't use this every day when I cook. But I, you guys know what this is? You guys ever seen one of these? these? I think they're called a mandolin. That's a name. It's not the musical instrument. But it's got blades on the front. And it's got a blade here. And I can also change the direction. And so I'm not going to, I don't have vegetables in here. I'm not going to cook and cut up a bunch of stuff for you guys. I'm going to put this to the side. But I saw this, and there is a cheesy infomercial you can watch about it, and there's different brands. But it, it is a lifesaver. Like if I want to make a stir fry or a soup or something, I can take that and I can just, in a couple minutes, I can have like a whole crock pot full of vegetables. So it is good. I don't use it every single day. But when I need it, it's there. And the Psalms, we've been talking a lot about the Psalms and um, a lot of things that Doug and Chris have said, I really resonate with that. And I want to bring another aspect to the Psalms today and that Psalms are our toolbox and they're, and they're all different Psalms and they're like a specialty toolbox for prayer. So in life, we want to come to God and we want to meet with him and there's different ways to meet with him and we're going to see a, a certain aspect of that in this psalm. There's a couple psalms that are like this that are really key. And other psalms are not going to be able to help you the way that these type of psalms do. And so I want, to, I want to look at a quote here from Eugene Peterson. And he's the same guy that, that Doug had. Doug stole one of my quotes, so I'd have to use a different one. But um, this one is, The psalms are not prayed by people trying to understand themselves, but by by, by people who understand that God has everything to do with them. God, not their feelings, was the center. God, not their souls, was the issue. God, not the meaning of life, was critical. The psalmists are passionate about God, the obedience-shaping, will-transforming, sin-revoking, praise-relenting God. The psalms come from a people who hear God speak to them and realize it is the most important word they will ever hear spoken. They decide to respond. They answer. These people made their mark in history not by understanding themselves or studying what they had found around them in the earth and sky, but in praying to the God who revealed himself to him or to them in word. So a couple things we notice is that um, 
um, the Psalms teach us that prayer is a response to God. We never initiate a conversation. It's always his faithfulness and us coming back to him in a certain aspect. And what we realize is that God is involved with every different type of thing that happens in our life. And I just threw up a couple different types of psalms here on the screen. And these are just types of psalms you might see. And they have different, they have different purposes. They're like a specialty toolbox. And there's psalms that deal about comfort and grief. There's ones that search for direction in the time of waiting. There's psalms that plea for God to deliver them. There are joyful proclamations of the wonder of God. There's meditations on life. There's awakening thankfulness that comes out this exuberance. Um, there's confessions of need, where it's not I'm confessing something I've done wrong, but just the fact that I need you right now. There are psalms that deal with the confession of sin. And this is the type, the last one is the type that we're going to talk about today. And it's all about using the right tool for the job. And these are tools that have been given to us by people who have seen a faithful God and they've responded. So I just want to pray and invite God to speak through me and to speak to you in, in words that, that I'm not even talking about, just so he can speak to your heart. Dear Father God, we, we ask you that you'll give us the joy that David found uh, in this discipline and this type of prayer called confession. And we know that this sometimes has a lot of baggage, but we just ask that you just show us your word and how good confession can be. And just speak through your spirit to us and just show us how good of a father you are to us. Uh, in Jesus' name. So this topic, the words like sin and wickedness and judgment, confession and repentance, those words are very heavy words and they, there's a lot, of, a lot in Christianity that has kind of been misconstrued, And there's a lot of sermons and different teachings about this that can leave people feeling heavy. And this is not what I want to do today, and this is a different direction than what David is actually going in. And, it's a dire- and what David is teaching us is the God of the Bible. And those things are biblical, those words I've just used, but David wants to teach us that these are not things that we have to get beat up about and things that bring us down, but actually confession is a gift for us. So I want to, I want to read right away um, verses 1 and 2 of this psalm. I'm going to read in two different translations. The first one is going to be an NIV. And it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And I'm going to read it again in another translation. And it says, Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And we're going to see more about that deceit and the complete honesty and being free from that as we talk today as well. So David is really excited here, and he's saying this is something that brings him freedom and lightness and life. And confession doesn't have to be something that's heavy and discouraging. It's hard when it happens and something that we need to go through, but it is something that he wants to share. This is what I've experienced, and this is what I want you to experience too. This is not something that, as Christians, we should avoid, but something that we should pursue because it brings new life. We have a faithful God, and what we're starting to see, and more and more I read the Bible, I went through Acts, and now I'm going through different parts, is that I remember being a little kid reading the Bible, 
I had a little picture Bible, and I thought everybody in the Bible was somebody I had to emulate. And all the main characters were super awesome people. But the more that you realize, you read the Bible, you see that these are people that are just like us. And these people actually have a lot of issues. But it's the God that's behind them that is transforming them, changing their hearts. By the end of their story, if you follow somebody like Jacob or Abraham, by the end of their story, they're a completely different person than when they started. And that's, that's because of God. So I want to look at David. And David has an interesting story. And David is somebody that is commendable. The Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart. And yet he did do some things that probably could have put him in jail if he lived in Canada. Um, I want to read verses 3 and 5 and just talk about the way David feels when after he's done something wrong here. So I want to read 3, three verse 5. I don't know if I have one of them, but I'm going to, in the NIV. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I think I, do I have another one, the same? Yeah, okay, so this is the message, and it's saying the same thing a little differently. He says, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder, my words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. And I said, I will make a clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly, the pressure, pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved and my sin disappeared. And so, in these two different translations, there's more too. They, they use different word images. And um, the first one is this feeling of being burdened and this heavy weight. Uh, another type is kind of like a hard, tight pressure. I know if, if, you, if you go scuba diving or something like that, and you're going deeper and deeper, and you can kind of feel that pressure on you like that. So that's kind of what the, the message is trying to convey. And the last one is kind of like a drought or an exhaustion or a drying up and just a, a tiredness that you get kind of, you know, you know what I mean, in Okanagan sometimes if you're out too long in the sun. And these are all metaphors, and these are metaphors that David is using about the power of conviction. And we don't know this, this psalm. Sometimes the psalms start and they say of David when he did this and this and when he followed this king or when he was running away from this guy. And this one doesn't say which time David fell, which time David was having this struggle inside of himself. And so I want to just pick one of the stories. It doesn't really matter when because every single time that we hear David in a story, it always comes to the same conclusion. He's got that same heart when he realizes he's done something wrong. He has a certain heart toward God. So if you do you remember at the end of David's reign, David is a powerful king and he's got this amazing kingdom and all the countries around him, um, the little countries, are actually paying him tribute and homage and he has them subdued. And everybody who comes to fight him, he actually is able to overcome them and they become like his servants and his vassals. And so he's living in a time of peace and he's got this whole area conquered and he's living in freedom. And um, something comes across David's heart where he decides, I think I want to do a census and I want to find out how many people, how many men I can find that are suitable age for fighting and to see how big of an army I can muster just in case I need it, just to see how good of a job I've done. And so he goes to his top general and he says, I want you to go and take all your commanders 
I want you to go around the country and I want you to find out how many men are available if I need them. How many men can I put together so I can um, take care of business here? And so David says this to his general, and if you know his general, his name is, his name is Joab, and he's not always the best guy that's written about, but he's commendable here. And he says, David, you, you can't do this. Like, God will protect you, and God will give you a hundred times more if you need it. But don't do this. And then it says, but the king's, wor- king's word overruled his general. And so Job says, Joab says, well, I've got to do it. It's the king. So he sends out his guys, and they send horses everywhere, and they set up, they go, and it says it takes nine months and 20 days. And so this takes a long time. They go through the whole kingdom, and they're setting this up. And this gives David a lot of time to think about what he's done and with the words of Joab that came to him. And then they bring the guys back, and they said, yeah, you've got a pretty decent size. You can have 800,000 men here and 500,000 in this part. So you've got a pretty decent setup if you need it. And at this point, David is struggling with himself. And those verses we looked at, um, I don't know if this is the time he's talking about, but he's, he's got that, that pressure inside of him, that tightness where he's known he's done something wrong, and he's fighting with it. And he realizes, you know what, I, this, is overcome, this is overcoming me. I need to bring this before God. And there's, there's something about David that we see that is so commendable. It's not that he's a perfect person, or not that he's a saint, but his heart towards God. That's what we want to look at today. And the thing about David that is so different um, that we need to see is that he is different than Adam and Eve. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve, after they sinned, what did they do? Yeah, they tried to hide it, and they, they avoided God, and they were kind of sneaking around. And then God's, it says that God's walking through the garden, and he says, hey, where are you guys? And as if God doesn't know, but he says, where are you guys? Are you guys hiding? And then eventually he shows himself to them and he's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys hiding? And they're like, oh, we're ashamed. And David has a different attitude than Adam and Eve. And when he knows he's done something wrong, he doesn't fight it forever. He eventually just comes to God and says, I want to get this all out with you. I want to I expose my whole heart and let you deal with me. And so I guess that's a question for us is, when we experience a biblical conviction, and there's two different types of guilt that we can experience. Some guilt is not actually from God. And that's a, that's a guilt that comes from the enemy of condemnation, where you don't know what's wrong, but you feel like you're not worthy of God. And you feel like condemned. And that is not from God. When God wants to convict us, there'll be a specific time in his, our life where we know we've done something wrong, and he wants us to address that. And this is biblical This is um, the Holy Spirit coming to us and specifically saying, this is a specific situation I want you to deal with. It'll never be vague. It's always, I want you to deal with this and you know it's wrong and come to me. And so when we we come to times like that, um, what do we do in these situations? That's the the big question. Is that the question? Are we like Adam and Eve or are we like David? And there's different ways that we can hide. We don't, have to hide in the trees and put on fig clothes and different stuff like that. There's ways that we do it in our own culture. Sometimes we, if we know we've done something wrong, we stay busy enough that we don't have to think. We don't have to meditate and rest and think about where we're going with our life. And there's, there's other ways as well. Just turn the page here and I just missed the other, other way. Sometimes it's just downplaying it and it's, it's saying, you know what, that... In a situation like that, anybody would have done what I would have done. And it's kind of just like, 
I'm not going to worry about it too much. And the thing about a child is um, their consciences are so clean that when they do something wrong, sometimes they admit it before somebody finds out about it. And that's, that's, a, that's an important, integral thing that David has where he's got this soft heart to God where he can't, he can't live with himself until he gets it off his chest. And I said I didn't want this, this sermon to be too heavy, and I hope it's not going that direction. But what it's important to know is that sometimes our conceptions of God really has a lot to do with if we're afraid to come to him or not. And God is not the type of God that sometimes we picture like a hard, angry father who is always feeling like we've always let him down. Like, you, you always frustrate me because you're never doing the right thing. And that's not the point of confession. There's two benefits that we see here from confession. And the first one is freedom. And I want to read two verses to you that kind of pertain to this. And I want to talk a little bit about the discipline of confession. And one of them is from Jesus. And he says, A good man brings good things up from the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the heart, or the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And who can understand it? And so the first thing that we see in this psalm is that confession is a way to freedom. It's not a way for God to beat us up and to remind us that we're so much different than him and that he's not impressed with us. But it's a chance for us to enjoy freedom. And if you know, I want to use an illustration of weeds. And weeds are subjective because some people think, oh, that's actually a plant, that's not a weed. And depending on how much you like the plant or what its usefulness is, it can be considered a plant. And so I want to pick on raspberries, and they are definitely not a weed. But raspberries, if you know about them, I was, Ken and Leanne really helped me out. They got me some raspberries, and we were digging them up. And the cool thing about raspberries are down below where the root system is, they, it can continue and continue and continue, and then it'll pop up somewhere else. And so if you just have, like, dirt, you have your main canes, and you can have new shoots that are going under, and then they'll come back up. And with the, with the discipline of confession, it's not just coming to God and saying, God, I've screwed up in this. This is the sin that I've done. I know it's wrong. It says in the Bible, thanks. Okay, I got to go. Bye. And then that's it. And that's like, okay, I got a clean slate. That's done. But it's a little bit, because all that is is the same as, well, raspberries are a good thing. But if you just cut the top or if you cut it at the base of where it meets in the ground and you don't realize it's spreading across your whole yard and then you're, you're like, okay, I've, taking care of that and then in a day or two days later or a week later the same thing comes up again and you just ask for forgiveness God I'm sorry what have I done and you just clip it again and what God wants to do for us in confession is actually to come and say this is an opportunity for you for me to, to, to take something in your life and to bring it into a deeper understanding of me and to change a part of your life that's natural to you that I want to change and so a, a good example could be if, some, if you deal with greediness or selfishness or putting yourself first, kind of like, I got to take care of myself because nobody else is going to take care of me. Uh, and you know that's wrong. It's not just coming to God and saying, yeah, sorry, I put myself first and I, um, I kind of threw my employee, my coworker under the bus and that wasn't good of me. 
and God forgive me for that, and that's done. But it's coming to God and meditating on that and saying, God, where is this coming from? Where's the source behind this? Why have I had this attitude? And you might spend time with God, and it gives God an opportunity to say, there's more deeper down there that I want to deal with. And maybe there's a, a misunderstanding about God. Maybe it's, you know what? You don't actually trust that I'm going to protect you and provide from you. And so you have this survivor mentality where you have to put yourself first, but I actually want to be that person for you. And people who just don't confess or they just get it out of the way quickly and refuse to come to God in this deeper way miss out on so much more that he wants to give and so much more transformation of how good he is to us. And so this is what we see with David is that he doesn't just deal with it on the surface, but he says, I want you to to have all of me come inside and figure it all out. And there's other Psalms. There's one in Psalm 139 that says, search me and know me. Look at every part of me. Let's look together and show me the parts that you want to change and make me like you. So this is the first benefit that we see is that God is not an angry God that wants to just show us how bad we are and rub our face in the dirt, but he wants to use the times that we mess up to bring new life into us and to transform us It's the main way that he transforms us into his son is when we realize that we need help. And then he goes down right into the source, right into the source, into our spirit, and deals with the core issue. And the second benefit of confession is it maintains an open channel with God. So I want to read um, verses 6 and 8 here. I think those on on the screen. I'll see if I can find this here. It says, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty, mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place, and you will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. And in the next couple verses are actually God talking. He says, I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit or bridle, or they will not come to you. And so, what we find is that um, the Bible says that God is a holy God, and that's, that's inevitable, but it's just, when we, when we confess and we come to God and we make ourselves known to Him and give Him the opportunity to speak into our lives, it allows His presence to be felt more, more fully in our life. And so this is a good thing, and David experiences that. And if you know about David's life, um, he, was a, he started out as a shepherd, right? And so it says that when he's talking to King Saul about defeating Goliath, and he says, I want to go fight Goliath. And um, King Saul says, no, I don't think so. Like, King Saul was a tall guy, but even he was afraid of fighting Goliath. He said, nah, you know, like, you're just a little kid. I don't think that would be a good idea. And do you remember what David says to him in response? David already has experience dealing with God, so he knows God's going to pull through for him. And so he says to him, look, I've been a shepherd for my dad. I've taken care of his sheep. He said, I've, I've fended off a bear and a wolf, and, or a bear and a lion before when they've come before me, and God protects me, and he's my deliverer. And so there's, we see other Psalms where God is such a refuge for David, and David is used to that. So when he talks to King Saul, he says, I really believe God's going to do this for us. And so that David has that attitude, and we see these attitudes in this verse. 
And that's because he's got this clear conscience with God and he's got an open channel where he can hear God speaking to him. And he hears these things that, David, that God is saying and God wants to do the same things for us. The second benefit is that we can hear more clearly when we keep a clear slate with God. We can hear more clearly his vision and his direction for our life. And um, if you're wondering how to hear from God, one of the most important things is, is to spend time in confession. And that's not to search for, to find new ways um, to, God, where am I screwing up in my life? But when you, when you do screw up, to come to him and say, this is an opportunity. And in those times, he meets with us and he instructs us and he also shows us our, the direction he wants us to go. And it allows us to have this personal interaction with him. And uh, this, a lot of people think that um, like Jesus paid for our sin and so that was, a, that was a one-time thing and now we're good and we just have to rest in that until we go to heaven. But Jesus dying on the cross is the beginning of us allowing us to come. It says he's our high priest. So it allows us to be able to come to him and confess and have that personal interaction instead of just hearing, yeah, well, the Bible says that I'm free from this now. It's a personal interaction, the Bible says, where the Holy Spirit says, this is your father and your father accepts you. And it's a deeper it's a deeper understanding. And so confession is something that we need to practice our whole life. Uh, I want to read a couple more verses here. I already read that one in verse 9, but I want to read that again. It says, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit or bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. And in Hebrews it says that, those who God loves, and those are his children, he, will, he chooses to discipline them because he loves them and he wants to bring them closer to him. And I want to read you uh, a little story here. Well, actually, it's a, a, this little guy's testimony. And um, he was in the Vietnam War, and he was a prisoner of war. And while he was in, a prisoner of war, he started to have a lot of time of reflection. So I want to see if I can... It should be on the screen as well. It's... I think it's a longer quote. It says, During those longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, Phyllis, that's his wife, had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping, but I was too busy too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about the part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ in the church. But in heartbreak, the name POWs gave their prison camp, and in solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And so this guy, he's in here and he's dealing with this and he's got no, he's in a desert, but he has no source of oasis in his inner spirit. And when we look at the Psalms and specifically these confessions ones, these are disciplines that we can start now 
um, in the good times or the bad, wherever we are at now, and build these disciplines and develop these skills. So when you, when you get a new tool, it's usually good to look at the manual and to figure it out and to, to practice it so that in a time of need, when you need it, you'll know what to do. And so if you have a, a first aid kit or if you have a, a roadside emergency kit for your vehicle, it's probably good to read through that and maybe even practice it a couple times and think about the scenario you're going to be in so that if you find yourself um, with your vehicle flipped or uh, in, a, in a sticky situation, you're going to be able to bring yourself out of that. And so these psalms are, are prayed by people, Psalm 34 specifically, about a person who has experienced what it means to fail God and to also what the journey looks like to grow in that. And there are many other psalms too. And what I encourage you is to just take this psalm, and I wanna, I'm taking this psalm myself, and I want to put it inside of me, kind of like a specialty tool, so that if, hopefully I don't have to end up in a situation like this guy, but just to be able to have these things inside of me, living inside of me. And uh, this is something that Chris kind of talked about, about hiding God's word in our heart. And your word is a lamp unto my feet. And taking different psalms and finding their value, finding why were they written, taking them and putting them in our heart and learning to use them and grow in that discipline and learn how to use that skill and hone that skill so that when times come, we know what skill to use. Um, So before we end, I just want to leave you guys with a benediction. And this is... This is my hope for us is that um, so may you be filled with joy. May you run to God like David and not hide like Adam and Eve when you fall. May you come to view confession as a gift and a blessing that fills your life and connects you to God. May you look at God and see that every time that you fail, it's an opportunity for his grace to be even more sufficient for you. And may you run to him. Um, And I just pray that in Jesus' name for all of us.